When I listen to a popular talk radio show host like Rush Limbaugh, or watch one of the popular guys on television, whether it's Tucker Carlson or formerly Bill O'Reilly or Sean Hannity or Greg Gutfeld, I'm always trying to uh, listen, experience them on two levels. One, I'm listening to the really smart things that they say and they've figured out the dots they are connecting. But then I'm always, I'm also in the back of my mind as a professional communicator. I'm in the back of my mind. I'm saying, man, how did he do that? How does Rush? How did he rise to the top of the heap? How did he get to the top of the mountain, the pinnacle of the pyramid? Ditto for all these, you know, a lot of these guys I admire on Fox. And, and so, you know, with Rush, he's probably the best example of it. You know, when you listen to Rush, he starts off his show by reminding you that, you know what, there's so much stuff to go through that, you know, if you don't listen to this, you're going to miss out on the fact that Western civilization is teetering. And if you don't listen and pay attention, you might be the one that responsible for it to teeter in the wrong direction and just collapse. So lots and lots of urgency, lots and lots of stuff going on. And Rush has to get through it. Damn it, if he's going to rush his way through it, you better pay attention. You better listen real carefully. And I think that's just one way Rush has been able to stay on top for so long. Again, I'm not deprecating or de marginalizing in any way all these great insights and all these great things he brings to people every day. You know what? He's been around so long. It is, it's pretty easy to forget how, how important he is how good he has been, how good he is right now. So that's uh, that's worth remembering. Uh, anyway, so that, so that's when I'm looking at the material for the show today. I'm looking at it. I'm going, holy sh, holy simoleons. There's a lot of material here. Civilization is hanging in the balance. You guys better pay attention to this because it just might fall teeter in the wrong direction when you're not watching. I mean, really, that's what's going on right now. We're going to get to that very urgently in one minute. Let me remind people who the hell we are around here. This is Colin Flaherty. I'm the author of Don't Make the Black Kids Angry, White Girl Bleed a Lot, Knockout Game, a couple of other books. I want to say they're easy to find. They're easy to find if you subscribe to my newsletter. And there you can get the links to all of them. Some have audio editions. Some are on Amazon. Some are on Lulu. Some are not. Anyway, so head on over to ColinFlaherty.com, put your name and email in there so we can stay in touch. I mean, that's ultimately the only way we can stay in touch, right? I mean, I mean, this 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 podcast, my videos, I'm like, we're like nomads. I wrote a this kind of reminds me, I wrote a book about hitchhiking around the country for four months. I mean, this was when I was in my mid-50s. And uh, now I, that kind of reminds me now. I'm just kind of a nomad wandering around, going from cheap hotel to cheap hotel, <laughs> hoping I'll have some good experiences along the way. I mean, you know, we got kicked off of YouTube. We got kicked off of Facebook. Never a reason, never anything, just generic stuff. No one's ever saying, Colin, we're going to shut you down, but first we're going to prove you wrong. No, it's just... They can't do that, so they're really shutting us down. They're really moving us around, not because we're, we're not telling the truth. They're shutting us down, trying to silence us because we are telling the truth. 
So we've been kicked off YouTube, PayPal, Teespring, my t-shirt company. Yeah, they kicked me off and kept a thousand bucks in t-shirt sales. They said they were going to donate it to their community. So now a couple of other places. I'm not doing this woe is me thing. I'm just reminding you of the importance of signing up for my email at colinflaherty.com so we can stay together. So now I'm over at minds.com slash colinflaherty. I put videos there once in a while. Lately, that site's been getting a little bit cluttered. I'm going to, with other stuff, I'm going to clear that up. Um, you know, we do this podcast, which you can find everywhere, except most of you cannot find this at iTunes. Um, I do lots of articles, lots of interviews. Got a bunch of books out there. So, you know, it's all good. So, enough about us and what we're doing here. Oh, yeah, we do all this. Without racism, without rancor, without apology. You never hear us doing the old, well, of course George Floyd shouldn't have died like that. He was a father. He was a spiritual man. This is the stuff Republicans and conservatives have been saying. He was a spiritual man. He was a holy man. He was beloved by his community. No, wait till we get the full story of what was happening on that day. We know he had fentanyl. We know he had methamphetamine. The cops in Minneapolis, cops who watched the video, the full video, look at that and go, oh yeah, that guy's tweaking. That's a classic tweaker. Just had a cop call me this morning and tell me that. Classic tweeter actions. Tweaker actions. So let's keep our eyes on that as we try and judge what did or didn't go wrong or right with that arrest. But in the meantime... Why don't we do a little butcher's bill as of yesterday from John Lott Jr. You guys following John Lott Jr. on, on Twitter? You should. There's there's like, I don't know, there's like 10 people you just should follow. I mean, among my 10 are John Lott, then there'd be uh, Thomas Sowell, Larry Elder. Uh, I like to follow Jesse Lee Peterson. Um, there's a couple of other people that are just consistently funny, consistently piercing, consistently good. And if you follow the right people, it can really, it can really, it's kind of like having your own personal news service. Whenever I read my Twitter stream, I have a feeling I'm back in one of these movies in the 20s, you know, reading the uh, ticker tape from uh, the Wall latest stock reports from Wall Street. You know, it's like, oh, that happened. Biscuits up by 27%. Oh, the Yankees are losing two to one. Twitter's like that, but Twitter's not like that if you're one of those people who decide that you're going to follow back everybody who follows you. So if you have 13,000 followers, but you're following 13,000 people, you're really missing out on a lot because you just can't. I mean, if you have 13,000 people sending you stuff, that's too much. You can't really manage it. So keep your Twitter stream manageable so you can pick up guys like Lot. And, and Thomas Sowell and good old Kyle. Anyway, so John Lott is the preeminent Second Amendment academic in America, and that means, which basically means every other academic in America has been taking pot shots at this guy for decades. I mean, they, they actually had one guy do a big study. You know, showing everything John Lott said wasn't true. This guy was like the king of the world for a month. And one month and one day later, somebody figured out, oh yeah, 
you, you made up all that data, didn't you? You just made it up. None of it was true. The guy goes, yeah, sorry about that. But you know what? My data was bad, but my story's correct. We need gun control. So John Lott is, John Lott is standing proud and strong and brilliant. And he's really a good person to follow on Twitter. Here's what he put out yesterday. 749 police officers have been injured so far in the riots. Did you hear that? 749 cops injured in the riots. 20 people have been killed by rioters. Some of those are police. 749 cops injured in the riots. The largely peaceful riot. Wow, that's a big number. But even as the riots proceed apace and all the crazy stuff attached to the riots continues, like in Seattle, they've taken over six city blocks. And I got to talk about denial, deceit, delusion. So the, the, the Antifa, whatever the crazy name they're going by these days is, they've taken over six city blocks. They fenced it off. They have guards, people watching to make sure who comes in and out. I don't know what they're doing about food and everything in there, but I'll let them worry about that. But they asked the governor. I mean, this Seattle, Washington, state of Washington, they asked the governor this yesterday. The governor is there signing some innocuous bill. And uh, somebody goes, hey, uh, Mr. Governor, you know, they got the Antifa down there. They've been there for a couple days. They've got the thing fenced off. They've got this. They've got that. Um, wh what do you know about that? Are you going to do anything about that? The governor looks up and goes, I haven't heard anything at all about that. I'll have to check on that. Okay, so here's the thing. Please don't tell me the governor of the state of Washington didn't know what good old Colin and what you guys knew from the minute it started happening. That the crazies, the locos, like a bunch of cast of characters like the bad guys from one of the Mad Max movies. You remember the guys who were chasing Mel Gibson through the desert in order to get his gasoline and his dog and all that stuff? That's like the people, that to me, that's like, they're like Antifa to me. They're the ones taking over that city block. They're city blocks. And now the chief of police has stepped aside. The mayor has stepped aside. City council has stepped aside. The national media has stepped aside. Now the governor's trying to tell us he hasn't even heard about it. Man, what a weak, weak, weak move to find yourself into a big jam and just tell a lie that everybody within the sound of that dude's voice, every million, every one of the million people listening to that, either live or uh, on a little bit of a delay during a new show, everybody knew the guy was lying his ass off. Of course he knew. Of course his wife's gonna tell him as he leaves for work. Yeah, governors have wives. They go to work. Just like everybody else. Hey, dear, don't forget, Antifa is taking over downtown Seattle. The secretary, your secretary is going to tell you, your press sec, yeah, you know, your secretary, they got the gatekeeper in your door. You're, I mean, you're going to hear it a million times a day, and now you're sitting there telling us you didn't even know about it. 
Just a good reminder of the enormous denial, deceit, and delusion that is now the de facto response to all questions about black violence, black criminality, black dysfunction, so wildly out of proportion. But again, it's not, again, we're, so why don't we get off the riots for a while? Because the fellas have been keeping it real, even as the riots are starting to peter out a bit. Why don't we go down to Ocean City, Maryland? I posted this on one of, on Twitter and on Minds.com slash Colin Flaherty last night. I posted a video of a large group of fellas roaming the boardwalk in Ocean City, Maryland. See, basically, there's just like one boardwalk, right? It goes from, say, north of Atlantic City down to below Ocean City, Maryland. That includes the Delaware Shore. Just a bunch of beach towns. They're all the same. They all have boardwalks. And, but they all, in the summer, they all have lots of bad business from the fellas. This boardwalk was just opened like, I don't know, how many days ago? A couple days ago. Within days of the thing being open, all of a sudden, you got dozens and dozens and dozens of fellas roaming the boardwalk, beating the crap out of white people. Oh yeah, this is, we, we've, docu- we've been documenting this over the years. And I cannot blame the people who have saved, invested, and put their entire lives into a summer business at these communities. Whether it's a hotel, whether it's a place on the beach, whether it's anything. I can't blame them for desperately, however deceitfully, wanting to squash the news that their little idyllic beach community is now a scene of regular black mob violence. But that's what's happening along these towns. A lot of it. And luckily for this one, you know, we were able to tip our nose, tip our eye, peek in under the, under the blanket, under the tent to see what's inside. So let's hear what's inside here. And what you're missing out on seeing is um, it's two things. One, all the local media called it a brawl. When it wasn't a brawl, it was just a pure assault. People are being knocked out. White people are being knocked out. When they're out, people are coming up and punching them in the face. What we're missing is the hooting, the hollering, the cheering, the ecstatic reaction of having a peak emotional experience of finding a white guy and beating the crap out of him. So let's listen to that. And 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 so keep in mind two things. One, this happens a lot along the shore. Two, it wasn't just limited to this thing you're hearing about. There were a whole bunch of, there was a whole bunch of black violence going on up and down that boardwalk that some shocking video on social media tonight. It shows a large fight on the boardwalk in Ocean City. And WJZ is live. Rachel Carden has more on what the video shows and the response from the beach town's mayor. Rachel? That's right, Denise. There were actually a few fights. One of them resulted in a stabbing. The other, as far as we know, was just a physical altercation. We want to warn you, some of the video you're about to see is very graphic. Oh, Oh, 
Cell phone video taken last night captures a fight on the Ocean City boardwalk. Oh, the video appears to show a large group near the beach when a brawl breaks out and one person appears oh to get God. hit and then falls motionless to the ground. The crowd moves around before what appears to be another fight starts. This comes just days after police put out these two pictures of suspects following a stabbing Sunday night on the boardwalk between 6th and 7th streets. Ocean City Mayor Rick Meehan released a statement saying, we are equally horrified by the actions displayed on social media video depicting violence and unruly crowds. This behavior has no place in Ocean City and violence like this will not be tolerated. The town and OCPD are working immediately on addressing this disturbing behavior. So down the shore everything's alright. Me and my baby on a Saturday night. That's the boss singing about the idyllic conditions down at the beach. How maybe Bruce would be playing some pinball hoping to hook up with somebody. Uh, you know, underneath the boardwalk where they all promised to unsnap their jeans. Those days are gone. So now if you're a family contemplating going down to Ocean City, Maryland for a vacation, well, you got to keep your head on a swivel and you got to, you know, you got to keep an eye on your family at all times, especially your little white teenage kids that are deciding they're going to find out what it's like to be on their own at 10 o'clock at night on the boardwalk in Ocean City, Maryland. That's what those kids found. So every once in a while we meet, we used to meet at a place called Brex Mill, my gang and my crew in this, this part of the world. We just meet there on Friday night, smoke cigars, pull up a chair, watch the world go by. It's a little place right on the Brandywine River. Well, we got kicked out of there, so now we're called the Brex Mill in Exile group, or as one of our... It's amazing who's in this group. This guy is like retired from the fire department. Major fire department, a captain. Not a casual thing, right? Not at all. Anyway, he came up with a name for our group. Short name. I think he's calling us the Brexiles. Yeah, we're now the Brexiles. So, uh, one of the members of our Brexiles is a guy that loves Memphis, Tennessee. Loves them. Loves it. Loves Elvis. Loves to go down there. Loves to tell everybody what a great place Memphis is. So, he was a little surprised when I first met him. When I heard him tell him, he tell him what great things about Memphis, I kind of said, um, okay, you know, I don't know. Maybe other people think Memphis is one of the truly dark and dangerous, dirty chocolate cities in America. And so that's kind of a running conversation we have every time something bad happens at Memphis, which is all the time. I just kindly bring it to his attention Um, because even he admits when he's in Memphis and he wants to go to some of these Elvis memorial spots, like maybe a place where he was recording somewhere or maybe an early place. I mean, you can't go to these places without armed guards. So just the other day, Guy can't catch a break. Sorry. Just the other day, the guy posted. It's like, man, my family and I were looking for a place to go on vacation. And somebody said we ought to go to Myrtle Beach. I was about to say, okay, you can go to Myrtle Beach. But two weeks ago in the streets of Myrtle Beach, a bunch of fellas had a shootout. Lot of our, lots of argy-bargy in Myrtle Beach. Used to be limited to Black Beach Week, Black Biker Week. Happened around Memorial Day. Used to be limited to that. Now it's like the fellas are taking it to a new level year-round in Myrtle Beach. So I didn't say anything. I just thought, you know, I'm just going to let this go. I didn't. So 
He might be there right now for all I know. Then I got this in my email this morning. A story from Myrtle Beach. A white guy's walking down the street in Myrtle Beach. I don't think it was, let me see, say what time? Uh, sometime in the evening. Just going from one innocent place to another innocent place to their hotel. All of a sudden, this white guy and his girlfriend are set on by 11 fellas, and they beat the holy hell out of him, almost killing him. Why don't we listen to her story from Facebook? Her name is Amber Deal, D-E-I. I guess her boyfriend's name is Colin. Yeah, guy's name Colin, get all the chicks. As many of you know, me, Colin, and his family are all in Myrtle Beach for a vacation. What started off as a great trip turned into one of the worst experiences of my entire life. Two nights ago, our two-minute walk home from the beach, we were approached by some people asking to borrow a lighter. We told them we didn't even have one, and we went on our way. They attacked me. Colin, my boyfriend, tried to defend me, and 11 black men jumped him. It was a short encounter, thank God, who knows what more could have happened, because they completely removed my shorts from my body. But in that time, they managed to do all this to me and break Colin's jaw in three places. He had a four-hour-long surgery yesterday, and the jaw is now wired shut until further notice. I am absolutely sick to my stomach. Bystanders recorded the incident, and no one stepped in to help. Even the police refuse to release any information or footage because they don't want to scare the locals. They're trying to call it a robbery, even though they didn't take a single thing from us. If it were a black couple jumped by a group of white men, everyone nationwide would have seen that video, and rightfully so. Uh, yeah, we don't have any of those videos. Back to her. Justice should be served, regardless. Because of the world we live in right now, these men are walking free and no one wants to help us. We are in contact with the mayor and local news, but I'm afraid that won't be enough. That same night, just a few blocks away, someone was shot and killed. People need to know it's not safe here, even though it is advertised as a safe family vacation spot. Thank you to those who have reached out. We appreciate the love and support. It's going to be a rough road ahead. And on this Facebook posting, there are lots and lots of pictures of her boyfriend in the hospital with lots and lots of injuries. That's Myrtle Beach. It used to be a, a place, a family place. Let's go up to Akron, Ohio for a weird story out of Akron. Uh, there were seven, so seven white guys were walking down the street and they came upon a group of seven other guys chanting, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Included in this crowd were two white the seven Black Lives Matter they decided they were going to attack the white guys. That's what they did in Akron, Ohio, hometown of the greatest of all time, LeBron James, who wants to remind us that black people are being attacked by white people every day. Let's listen to the story out of two white men who are shouting Black Lives Matter. Those men then attacked the other group with bottles. The suspects punched and kicked the victims and took their belongings before fleeing on foot. Officers have made arrests and charged seven men in connection with the attack. So a couple days ago when I put out the 
email and Twitter and video saying we're going to have some kind of peaceful protest, a direct action. So we're going to do that on June the 22nd. Save the date, June the 22nd. That's a Monday. So save the date. Hold on tight. Again, we can't let too much out before this thing happens because we don't want anybody interfering or stopping it. It might be too late for that already. But anyway, so uh, when we were talking about that yesterday, I reminded people to do something that we always encourage them to do. Tell us your stories of your personal experience with black on white violence, black crime and violence in your life. I got two letters this morning, two emails. Here's one. Hey, Colin, my good friend, Officer Cody Holt, was shot and killed by a black man a couple of days after George Floyd died. I coached him in the American Legion baseball. He was a fine man. I do not hold the same love for his killer, Samala Pendleton, a fella. He gave me a link. I checked it out. Sure. Bad news for, for Cody Holt killed while on duty. Riots and protests for a loser like George Floyd and little said for a good man like Officer Holt. This one-sided insanity is hard to take. Thanks, Colin. You are a good man and a good friend. That letter came, out, came from Don in Minnesota. Here's a letter from one of our many female viewers and listeners. Hey, Colin. I listened to you talk with Don the Plebe the other night. It's just one of the many shows I appear on from time to time. Don the Plebe has a great video podcast on you. And it was nice to hear the racial feelings that I've carried with me since childhood have some validity. I'm a 31-year-old white female. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I was bullied practically all of my school years by black people, both male and female, including being dragged down the stairs by the hair and sexually assaulted all before middle school. The teachers didn't do anything, if at all, to address it. At one point, they put me in the same room with my bully for anger management. And I was supposed to tell her how this made me feel as if she actually gave a shit. My parents decided to homeschool me until I could start high school, where I was then consistently harassed by four black girls for seemingly no reason other than they decided to. They would steal my paper and pencils, spread rumors about me, or even throw balls directly at my head during gym. They jumped me in the locker room after gym class one day, and I think the only thing that saved me was my pent-up anger at all of this. After I graduated, one of them apologized to me. I was just dumbfounded. I was too happy to learn. I was also happy to learn later that most of them wound up in the projects with too many kids. I've carried these experiences with me for years, and it still angers me that nobody talks about it, that you seemingly aren't allowed to talk about it. Thank you, Colin, for being a voice for people like me. Signed, Taylor. Oh, man. So much black-on-white abuse in schools, especially after the busing. So much denial, deceit, and delusion. So many teachers trying to, trying to tell their white kids, knowing the truth about, about what's happening, but they can't tell the white kids what's happening. They can't go and say, listen, you are a target of black crime and violence and hatred. 
It's not going to stop. It's not going to get better. There's nothing I can do as a teacher, administrator, a superintendent, a hall guard, a school resource officer, SRO. There's nothing any of us can do to stop. You can't stay in that environment. If your parents put you there and keep you there, that's child abuse of the worst kind, the highest order. So many people suffered in silence. So many people suffered not just in their own silence, but in the silence of people who knew about this ridiculous danger they were putting these kids in, white kids in, Asian kids in. Every yeah, if you don't think it happened to Asian kids, why don't you read Ying Ma, Chinese girl in the ghetto. Yeah, she told the story of how she arrived in the United States, a 10-year-old girl in Oak, and her life, the fellas in the hood, made her life one living hell for her, her sisters and brothers, and her mom and dad. They worked and worked and worked and were able to get out of the ghetto. They paid a heavy, heavy price, just like Taylor paid, just like Don's in Minneapolis and Minnesota, his friend, the cop, paid. Just like we all keep paying every day. On a cold and gray Chicago Born, Mr. Smollett was attacked by a unicorn in the ghetto Baby mama cries And if there's one thing that we don't need It's another Roman band of white violent gangs in the ghetto In the ghetto People don't you understand It was Nigerians at 2 a.m. coming back from Subway Take a look at you and me Are we too blind to see? White guys and Africans are exactly the same And his skin burns In the ghetto Another mama throws a guilt tirade Another donor plays the dad charade In the ghetto In the ghetto A lovely lady destroys a liquor store And her fella pulls a gun ends up on the floor In the ghetto And her baby daddy dies In the ghetto And then one night in desperation A sharp den starts to break Victimhood on NPR Tries to convince But he doesn't get far Cause he's full of lies In the ghetto As you listen to Elvis singing his new hit Tell where he can stick all of his bullshit In the ghetto Where the sun don't shine on a cold and gray Chicago morn, another dozen baby children were born in the ghetto. In the ghetto. In the ghetto. You know, as long as I'm reading letters, let me get to this other one. I'm not even sure it fits into this part of the podcast, but this is my favorite. These are one of my favorite stories. So I have favorites, right? I have favorites. And some of my favorite stories are the ones where fellas and lovely ladies from the United States, they let somebody talk them into taking an extended vacation to Africa or Central America where, you know, where black people can live free and flourish and prosper 
without all this ridiculous white racism that is holding them down so much. We've done a couple of these stories. And apparently in Ghana, there is a, uh, there is a colony down in Ghana, um, a colony of black people who are, of black Americans, who are quite eager to tell people that this is the promised land. So come on down and join us. And so I picked this up out of Breitbart yesterday uh, from the Ministry of Tourism, Arts, and Culture and the Ghana Tourism Authority, the Office of Diaspora Affairs. And uh, so they're, they're, they were organizing a memorial for this old dude, that old dude. And then they started talk, talking about honoring George Floyd with an invitation to African Americans to resettle Ghana if they feel unwanted in the USA. The late George Floyd was an African-American who was gruesomely killed by a white American police officer. Uh, the Minister of Tourism, her name is Barbara Otangiasi, she expressed the hope that the death of Mr. Floyd would put an end to racism, not only in the U.S., but across the globe. Racism in America continues to be a deadly pandemic for which more than 400 years now, our brothers and sisters in the United States have yearned for a cure. George Floyd was not the first black person to use the phrase, I cannot breathe. And she goes on, you know, on and on and on and on. Uh, we gather in solidarity with the brothers and sisters to change the status quo. And they keep telling all the great, then they go on to describe all the great things waiting for them in Ghana. If you just come to Ghana and uh, you know, as long as you don't mind living in the beach in a nice house. I've seen these pictures and videos. Like, you got black people living in a nice house on the beach. Coconut trees, palm trees, waves lapping up on the shore. Of course, when they leave their, car, when they leave their property, oh yeah, you better believe there is a ton of security at their front door, at their gates. So... If you're a fella or lovely lady listening to this podcast and you are in Ghana or you're thinking about going to Ghana to get away from all the big bad white people, please let us know how it turns out. Well, here's a couple of fellas who will not be going to Ghana. They're killing. So we heard about that St. Louis police captain, retired, 74 years old. He took a job, security job, at a pawn shop. Bunch of fellas going to loot the pawn shop. He said, no, you're not looting here. They killed him. We're learning about the guy they arrested for killing him. Surprise, surprise, surprise. He should have been in prison, but they just kept letting him out for some very serious crime. Von Cannon, now charged with first-degree murder in St. Louis, was convicted here in St. Louis County for armed robbery in 2014. He was sentenced to seven years in prison. The judge gave him a break, probation. He then violated that probation twice and got two more breaks, never going to prison. Stefan Cannon faces a first-degree murder charge for reportedly killing retired St. Louis police captain David Dorn, June 2nd. Dorn was protecting a pawn shop being looted. St. Louis police released video of suspects looting that night, and Crime Stoppers offered a growing... Do the people in Ghana, do we have any kind of like prisoner exchange program? Or maybe we could just start sending prisoners down there i mean we you know we could parole them after doing 20 i mean guys are killing people now only doing 8 10 12 years so if we can get that up to 20 years then get them a one-way ticket to ghana that'd be fine in dallas 
There's another story this morning in Dallas. Uh, it's a follow-up to a story we actually did when it happened uh, a week or so ago. A white woman, a like a charity executive at a hospital, she's the one who organizes all these things to raise money for all these, you know, anti these life-saving things that happen at the hospital, whether it's cystic fibrosis or cancer. There's always somebody with a lot of charisma, a lot of skill, rounding up the money, and the money saves lives. Anyway, she's coming out of her house one morning a couple weeks ago. 16-year-old fella decides he's going to steal her car with her in it. That's why he shot her in the head and killed her. Now we're going to hear a little bit from the husband here. And we'll hear a little bit more about the fella who killed I've sat down with the husband of Leslie Baker. She's the Dallas mother and marketing executive who was gunned down in her driveway on Memorial Day. Her accused killer is just 16 years old. Hundreds of friends have rallied around that family, remembering a woman known for serving others. Maria Guerrero has the story. You'll find them wrapped around trees in this quiet North Dallas neighborhood. Purple ribbons, like Leslie Baker, bold and bright. It almost brings me to tears when I, I drive by. A kind gesture by neighbors for a grieving family. I lost my best friend. I lost the love of my life. And I'm so proud to have had 30 years with her. Life has been a blur for Robert Baker since Memorial Day. I'm personally in dad mode trying to take care of my family. Their sudden and violent loss happening in broad daylight in the family's driveway. Dallas police say it was an attempted carjacking. Baker was on the phone with a friend when she was confronted and shot in her car. How it happened, losing her is devastating. Devastating too for their children, a marketing daughter and Aggie's son who will one day join the army. The tradition is the mom puts the bars on the uniform of the officer. Uh, she's not gonna be able to do that. We're gonna have weddings. She's not gonna be able to do those things with our daughter that moms traditionally do. And then she's not gonna get to hold our grandchildren. That's, that's the hardest part for me. Hundreds of friends have also been mourning the marketing executive's loss, including Cindy Brinker Simmons, who hired Baker to lead the Wipeout Kids Cancer Charity 27 years ago. He was so engaged with our families and with our kids. And I marveled as I sat back and watched her interact. They say Baker lived to serve others from cystic fibrosis charity work to becoming instrumental in the building of a community at the Grove Church. She was able to make people feel so warm and so welcome and she never met a stranger. From the YMCA of Dallas to her latest work. Faces with youth. I mean, it, it's, it spells out Leslie. It was for disadvantaged youth to help them get into the culinary industry. In perhaps a cruel twist of fate, the 59-year-old's life would be cut short, police say, by a teenager, a boy just 16 years old. While her husband is not yet ready to talk about the case, he is adamant. I want to make sure this doesn't happen to another family. In the baker's peaceful backyard where Leslie would sit with a glass of wine, a Mother's Day gift to a woman leaving a lasting legacy. But above all, she was an awesome mom, a great wife, and we have two unbelievably great children. But here's what I got. Got my full attention on that Dallas story. It was just a few days after her funeral, 
that 100 black leaders of faith in Dallas sent a letter to the chief of police saying how we have to change policing policies in Dallas because too many black people are being arrested by those racist white cops for no reason whatsoever. Oh, you didn't know crime and violence was out of control in Dallas? You didn't know it kind of it kind of happened at the same time they elected a liberal mayor? We did this when it first happened. He said he was more afraid of white conservatives with guns than he was of uh, terrorists invading his state. I don't know that he invaded. I don't know that he, that he uh, defined what a terrorist was. But there's a lot of black criminality in Dallas wildly out of proportion and now the, these guys that are church leaders <laughs> they're trying to pretend like it's not a thing the cops are picking on fellas for no reason whatsoever you know every once in a while on, I mean these pages not every once in a while all the time people will come in with excuses or with explanations solutions the ones that kind of get me a little bit annoyed only because we hear them so much and there's so much evidence to the contrary that they don't work is when people go, Colin, we got to get some leaders in the black community together to solve this problem. We got to get the clergy, Colin, the ministers. Yeah, they'll just, just get them to tell all the fellas to quit killing each other and to quit killing white people when they can't find any fellas. Have you ever listened to any of these black leaders? Any of these black clergy, who do you think is spreading the seeds of resentment, hostility, hatred, violence? Who's doing Colin, we got to get the parents involved. No parents, Colin, that's the problem. Of course it's the problem. There are no parents. There are just accomplices. Just the other day, Larry, Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder, was talking about on his tweet, he said, okay, say we had a vaccine tomorrow to get rid of all this white racism. That's, that's, a, that's an increasingly common metaphor to hear about that white racism is a disease that's passed down genetically. We're going to hear Tiger, uh, Tucker Carlson talk about that in a minute. A lot of people are using that metaphor. It's like, we just can't help it. It's subconscious, it's subconscious, unconscious. It's passed down. So what Larry Elder wanted to know is if we had a, a cure, a vaccine for this white disease called racism, does that mean tomorrow 70% of black children would not be born out of wedlock? Does that mean tomorrow 7,000 black people would not die every year because other black people were killing them? Well observed, Senor Elder. So now we've got to get the black parents to help their black children deal with that. Now, this black-on-white hostility, that is the kids in the ghetto. They, they get that right along with their mothers. White people are bad. White people are going to kill you. When you get to be 10, I'll give you the talk. The talk is you got to be careful around white people because they just they drive around in pickup trucks looking for black people to kill, just like they tried to do to Jesse Yes, we got to be careful of white people. Don't ever trust them. They hate you. They can't help it. And that's our, you know, so don't, you can't win. So don't, that's how, that's what the role the parents play in this. The ministers are backing it up. All of a sudden we get all this enormous level of black 
hostility and resentment connected directly to black violence so wildly out of proportion and people are going, wow, I wonder where that came from. Wow, how'd that happen, Colin? Is it because of the cops? Is it because they mistreated that that hardened convict drug using loot? That's got to be it, Colin. Can't be the fact that the parents and clergy have been teaching them hostility and resentment from day one. Isn't that right? You know, we got a, I got a phone message last night about a guy. I think he's in Pennsylvania somewhere. Middle of nowhere. He was, talk, he was talking about how we are going to do our thing on June the 22nd, the mysterious endeavor. So I hope you'll join us in Delaware, on Wilmington, Delaware on that day. Details to follow. Make sure you make sure, If you want to learn more about it, make sure you send me an email, colin at colinflaherty.com, and I'll, I'll keep you in the loop. So anyway, um, uh, this guy sent me a, 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 a voicemail telling me what he is doing. The small little step he's taking in his life. Is it a magic bullet? No. Did it, you know, did it bring down, you know, the uh the pillars like Samson, you know, pulling the pulling the pulling the, the temple down in the last that last Samson story in the Bible? No. But is it just one guy doing what he can the best he can to make a difference, to let people know about all this black bullshit going on now? Yeah. Let's hear his story. Hello, Mr. Flaherty. Just wanted to relate a story that happened to me this morning while I was having breakfast. Every day I go into a neighborhood mom and pop little restaurant, have breakfast. It's a uh, mixed crowd of uh, white and black. And I scribbled on a napkin. Hashtag blue lives will matter most. And I showed it to people. And some people were outraged both black and white outrage. And I looked and I said, you're missing my meaning. When you get done defunding the police or blaspheming the police to the point where whether there's money for them or not, they're not going to want to protect civilization. After that aftermath of chaos, you're going to find out in all of this, their lives did matter more than all of ours. So there's going to be nobody to protect us or property, or to protect civilization. So I told them there'll be individual groups who can do that, but then we're going to have barbarity. I told them, think about that, and I paid my bill and I walked out. So thank heaven for people like you for what you do, and may God protect you in your work and your listeners and your support. Okay, great, great job, Mr. Mysterio up there in Pennsylvania. Great job. Thanks for letting me know. Let's head on out to that hotbed of white racism, hotbed of black victimization, San Jose, California. <laughs> of course, for a whole generation of people growing up, San Jose was supposed to be the idyllic place where you would go back to after you've been run out of L.A. because that's such a, L.A. is a great big freeway. Put a hundred down, put a hundred down and buy a car. In a week, maybe two, they'll make you a star. No, no, that, no not, none of that's true. That's why do you know the way to San Jose? So I guess San Jose has changed since Burt Bacharach and Dionne Warwick were uh, singing about it. So now apparently, a lot of white people in San Jose, a lot of high-tech people in San Jose. And 
Apparently, there's a lot of white racists up there because there's a lot of people protesting the death of St. George Floyd of Minneapolis. The story you are about to hear may invoke very, very deep feelings of hilarity and laughter. Not in me, in you, because this is too serious for me to laugh my ass off about it, about this guy who's a diversity trainer, goes to a riot, thinks that he's exempt from all the other stuff, what the cops are telling about, telling the rioters, he's exempt from all this because he works for the city of San Jose. He trains cops in diversity. And didn't he know that kind of gave him a magical shield the cops were supposed to recognize that prevented him from being shot by bullets or inhaling tear gas. No, apparently he didn't, you know, he was supposed to know that. It did he didn't know it, it didn't happen. <laughs> so he got hurt pretty bad by the cops during the riots. Let's hear his story. Remember, no when protesters shut down 101 in San Jose last week over the killing of George Floyd, they targeted that blue Mustang. The owner had a Blue Lives Matter license plate frame. He later said it was not in support of police, but to avoid speeding tickets. When a man with a skateboard smashed out his window, 27-year-old community activist Derek Sanderlin stepped in to calm the situation and escort the driver to safety. So tell me what sign you're holding, what it says, and your reason for being there. We are the letter R worthy of life. I honestly needed a place to like express my sorrow, my like deep, deep sorrow. Sanderlin later made his way to San Jose City Hall. Sky 7 was overhead to catch the tense confrontations with police, and I was on the ground. Here is the rubber bullet. This is basically about an inch by an inch. It's hard rubber. This is one of the things they shoot. Just across the street, Derek Sanderlin saw police shooting rubber bullets at protesters, including young women at close range. There's Officer Jarrett Yuen, who has already been placed on desk duty, facing an internal affairs investigation for his aggressive behavior. I really just couldn't watch it anymore. Um, and just kind of made like a parallel walk over, put my hands up and just stood in the line of the fire mm -hmm. um, and asked them to please not do this. The video shows the officers training their riot guns on Sanderlin. He stood a good distance away, made no aggressive motions to police, yet they fired on him several times, one round hitting him in the groin. I paused for a moment like maybe this isn't, maybe this doesn't hurt and um, following afterwards is like the most painful experience. Derek and Kayla Sanderlin have been married four years. They both work for charities helping people who are suffering economically during the pandemic. After Derek's emergency surgery for a rupture, the doctors aren't sure they'll be able to have children. The doctor had let me know before the operation that uh, there's no way of fully telling mm -hmm. until you try to have kids. I just started weeping at the thought of that. Um, you know, we... We do want kids, and we're very close to having kids. They have retained an attorney who is preparing a claim against the city and the police. They were aiming for a body part that is prohibited when using those type of riot guns. You're not meant to aim at the groin or the head. This story is about to take a turn. That officer didn't know the person he shot has connections, that he knows the San Jose police chief personally. 
For three years, Sanderlin has helped train new police recruits about implicit bias and procedural justice. He wonders now if that work was in vain. The way that they've treated people out there has, over the weekend, has been really heartbreaking. Because, yeah, the chief is like a good person who's really trying to do the right thing. I broke the news to Chief Garcia about what happened. This afternoon, he called Derek Sanderlin and issued a statement. Derek has been a real leader in our community's efforts to reduce bias and discrimination through dialogue. I assured him we will be investigating this incident. Okay, so I'll confess. I had a little bit of a hard time obeying my own advice there not to take the light and this guy getting hurt for being part of a system that is truly evil. Now, the evil part is where he goes, gets hired by a chief of police to go tell the cops about racist white people and innocent black people. That's an evil system. This dude, this 27-year-old dude, was enthusiastically a part of. You know, we've talked about what it's like in these seminars before. Now, you go in there, the smart ones shut up. They go to a seminar, you know, shows up on their email, diversity seminar, Friday at 11 a.m. Everybody goes, oh, shit. So they know that's they're just going to waste an hour or two or a half a day or a day or a couple of days at a diversity seminar. The smart ones go, Man, I think I read Colin's book. I've heard Colin's podcasts on these things. You got to go in there and just shut up because there have been a lot of people who have lost their jobs because here's the way these things go. They lost their job based on what they say in these diversity seminars. So the way these things go is, you know, they've got, maybe you've got a Glenn Singleton. Maybe you've got the guy we just heard from here. They're all singing from the same songbook, white racism, black victimization. Then they all start, you know, reminding you of all the stories of, four billion years of white racism and black victimization explains everything all the time everywhere and so during these seminars the people who put their hand up and go hey wait a minute um you know there's no way to soft to, to couch this in soft expressions there's no way to explain it everybody knows what you're doing everybody's waiting for you just to get to the part where you say you're not a racist you're not the one uh, doing all these bad things that this person at the head of the class in the semin diversity seminar is describing. So you can't, it doesn't matter. You know, I had a black friend when I was 10 years old. He used to call me Jimmy. And I used to call him Johnny. Yeah. That's why, you know, I don't understand what everybody here is talking about because I got a lot of black friends. No, none of that works. The only, but and the people who say that they are demonstrating their unwillingness to to expose their own white racism, to recognize it, to recognize the damage it has done, and will do as long as you stay in denial about it. And that's why tons of public employees, especially teachers, get fired after these seminars. Now the technical expression is, well, we're not going to renew your contract for next year. A lot of a lot about that in both of my books, White Girl Bleed a Lot and Don't Make the Black Kids Angry. So just a reminder, if you find yourself in one of these diversity seminars, unless you want to make it your last day on the job, just go in there and shut up. I mean, you, you, you're in that job for a reason. It's, and you, it's a trade-off. You've got family obligations. You've got mortgages. Maybe you like the work. If you want to quit, quit. 
but just don't let them fire you because you're acting stupid during a diversity seminar and laughing when somebody gets a taste of their own medicine. You know, here's a guy that he kind of invented the diversity seminar even before everybody else did. So this was a story that was hot when it first came out about 10 years ago. And I, I saw it in American Renaissance and I, it reminded me of it. So good job over there, Jared Taylor. But the guy who was uh, doing cops, the guy who invented cops, John Langley, I guess you'd call him the executive producer. He, had, you know, he, he saw right he, he right at the beginning. He saw, wow, we got all these new cameras. They're really tiny. They're small. They're powerful. Let's see what we can do with them. Put them in a cop car. Follow the cops around. So now cops has been canceled. Though no one will really tell us why they're. The only reason they tell us why is somebody will come out and say, they, they produce some academic study. He'll say, yeah, it misrepresents black crime and violence, making everybody think that only black people commit crime in America. That's a straw man. What cops did is to show us, give us an up-close look on black crime, violence, and dysfunction so wildly out of proportion, so easy for cops to find. Anyway, this guy was getting this grievance from people right at the beginning, right when he started the show a long time ago. Does anybody remember what he said he did about it? Yeah, he said we, we artificially inflated our incidents with white people, and so nobody could accuse us of being racist. So they underreported black crime and violence on cops, and it didn't do them a damn bit of good because they got thrown off the air this week. And what's that other show? Is it called Live PD with Dan Abrams? Dan Abrams, the great liberal of all these different cable networks, so he gets himself a show, Live PD. Apparently, this was... I, have, I didn't get a chance to watch too much of it. But, uh, but, but what I saw was, you know, you have like camera crews in like five different cities. And you would just constantly keep switching to the, to the city where something was going on. So there was always something going on. Apparently, it's a very popular show. Well, they yanked that show. I just want somebody to come out and say the following. We yanked that show because we don't want white people to know what black crime, violence, criminality so wildly out of proportion looks like. Because we know we can't get videos of the same thing, white people doing it. That's it. That's why we're yanking live PD. Too much black crime and violence. Too many people too invested in pretending it doesn't happen. Now we've got people saying it's the other way around. Oh yeah, white people are scouring the country. Attacking black people, especially cops. And we got Cops, the TV show, and Live PD, the television show, putting, showing all of us how that's one big fat lie. They had to go. What, you wanna do? what irritates me sometimes is critics will watch something and say, oh, look at cops, they, they misrepresent people of color. That's absolutely not true. It's au contraire. I show more white people than statistically what the truth is in terms of street crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the prisons, it's 60-something percent of uh, people of color and 30-something percent of, of white people, right? If you look at cops, it's 60 percent white and 40 percent. Uh, it's just the reverse. And I do that intentionally because I don't want to contribute to negative stereotypes. People at Cops and Live PD thought they, they could get away with exposing 
well, exposing the truth about black crime and violence and how it happens, how the cops respond to it. And uh, that comes, of course, crashing a thousand miles in an hour into the big narrative of relentless white racism, relentless black victimization. Not everybody in Hollywood is as dumb as these two guys for telling the truth as best they can. There was a show, we talked about this in Don't Make the Black Kids Angry. There was a show, Law and Order, right? Everybody, if you don't watch it, somebody you know watches it. Huge show, right? It's been on for 8 million years. It's in new shows, it's in repeats, it has spinoffs. Huge. And their big thing, as they call, rip from the headlines, right? So you see something on Law and Order, something that kind of like you kind of go, hey, that was just kind of in the news a few weeks ago. Well, one of the one of the sh one of the uh, uh, shows they did. This is a couple of years ago. There was a story in New York where five fellas kidnapped the, the Asian owner of a, a, a Chinese restaurant, and they took her to some apartment. They abused her. They did all sorts of bad things to her. I think they eventually got caught. I think she lived. Not one hundred percent sure. Anyway, they used this story. On uh on Law and Order. Except when they got to do when they got when it showed up on Law and Order, there was a miracle. N never happened before in history. You saw black people turn into white people right in front of our eyes. The black people were gone from the the real life black people who committed the crime were gone, replaced by Hollywood white people, who apparently that's what they do all the time. They just roam around the countryside attacking Asian people just for the hell of it. Thankfully, Law & Order got to the bottom of it. It was a miracle! Okay, let's go out to Davis, California. Speaking of people who had to go. So if you've ever been to Davis, Davis is known as a place with a good agricultural program. It's known as the place in the United States that has more bicycles per capita than anywhere. I mean, this is the essence of detached white liberalism, earth shoe-wearing, breed-drinking, Chardonnay-sipping, the whole vegan-loving, the whole thing. That's Davis. So we get this guy who owns a, a little restaurant, a little sandwich shop called Mr. Pickles, he thought that he could survive in Davis by pretending that he had rights to free speech, to free thought. He could hire and, and enforce certain rules at his restaurant. No, not at the United States of Davis. Not anymore. Man, there's too much stuff going on here. There's too much stuff going on. We got Mr. people who work at Mr. Pickles in Davis, California, decide they want to make a Black Lives Matter protest and this basically lily white bicycle riding breeze sipping town this mr pickle sandwich shop in davis shut down wednesday after shop owner mickey mann sent out a scathing email to employees about bringing black lives matter into his shop in it using statements like i do not support black lives matter i never have and i never will you do not have arguments that can change my mind he went on to say blm is the flip side of the kkk their tactics are out of the mafia playbook man admits he took it too far in this climate you don't you you just don't do that obviously a big mistake he explains how it all came about i was first approached this about uh, wearing a blm pin in the store 
And I um, politely said no, because that's been our policy for eight years, is that we do not um, allow political stances into the store of any kind. But he says last Friday, the issue of wearing the pin came up again. So he told the employees he'd be willing to support them going to a rally. We will take care of the store on Saturday so none of them would have to work. We have 10 employees, and I'm pretty sure seven of them um, went down and, and demonstrated. On top of that, he says he was willing to make a donation to BLM. We offered them a donation jar to put in, it to be donated to the Black Lives Matter. And between my wife and I and, and Mr. Pickles Corp, we were going to uh, donate a check for $500. We confirmed in an email sent to one of the shop's team leaders where the owner wrote, we feel that what we are offering by doing the BLM jar is a very generous offer. We also stated that we would put up the BLM signage as long as we can get it approved. He says despite willing to support them, they insisted on wearing the pins anyway. So he told them they could quit. And they did. The corporate office in Loomis issued this statement through Instagram. Corporate has been notified of the alarming and painful statements made by the owner of the Davis shop to his staff. We made the decision to terminate his franchise, and it is now permanently closed for business. Walter McCullough, KCRA 3 News. Uh, the employee sent us this statement through Davis Parents United for Racial Justice. The statement says, I felt it was important to wear the BLM pin at work as a small reminder that we are in a time of mourning for George Floyd and all other African Americans killed by police and victims of deeply entrenched systematic racism. Once the racism and ignorance was revealed, I quit because it went against my morals to continue working for a business owner that held, holds these beliefs. Guy gets permanently loses his franchise permanently i don't know anything about franchises any lawyers out there to suggest suggest that the franchise can't unilaterally deprive him of a living just because he doesn't like black lives matter is that a part of your contract if there's one place that all the customers of mr pickles can go the customers who just refuse to go there or even the people who refuse to work there because of his outrageous position on telling the truth about Black Lives Matter, if there was one place they could have gone, you might have thought it would have been Starbucks. I mean, how long ago was it? Just a couple of years, seems like yesterday, that Starbucks was taking out full-page ads in the paper. They were telling everybody they're going to have conversations about race in their stores. And everything was going to be just fine because Starbucks was going to lead us into the racial holy land where we could all talk about how bad white racism is. And as long as we sipped on Starbucks, we would be required to agree with that. That was the thing. Remember that? Something happened at Starbucks. Oh, yeah. They started losing money because of that whack job idea. All of a sudden, their CEO, what was his name? Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz, he's the guy who, he started Starbucks, came back, you know, to revive it. When it start, his fortune started to flag, one of the first things he did was, hey, man, we got to make Starbucks relevant. Let's talk it up. The whole Black Lives Matter, white racism, black victimization thing. Let's do that. So they did that. A lot of attention. And a lot of people just started saying, well, you know, I'll probably go somewhere else and get my coffee. And you didn't really read about this that much, but they, after he left, there was kind of a purge up there. They lost a whole bunch of top-level executives that were in the room when the decision was made to go, 
yeah, let's get let's put Starbucks smack in the middle of uh, of this whole question of race in America. But whatever you do, don't ask anybody to talk about black crime violence wildly out of proportion. Let's just see if we can stick with half of the equation, which is white racism, black victimization, and how it's all the time everywhere. It's got to explain everything. Anyway, so that didn't work out. They purged it. That was like two years ago. Didn't hear much about that, did you? So now Starbucks, you know, they, they could sell their coffee, but they're trying to stay out of the social cause business. They're trying to stay out of the fella business. You know, there's a lot of argy-bargy in Starbucks. I love doing stories out of Starbucks. The shootings. How many computers, how many times have we seen on video a fella going in, just stealing one or several computers from a hapless student or Starbucks drinker, just grabbing them and running running out of the store with them. If anybody has ever seen a white person doing that out of Starbucks, would you would you let me know? Anyway, Starbucks to put the to 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 put the crown, to put the cherry on top of the Sunday of their new policy of, hey, we're just gonna stick to coffee. We'll leave all the crazy social justice warrior stuff to other people. Here's a story from the Hill, which might explain a little bit why we don't hear why you can get five, you know, you can lose your pickles franchise. But that's standard operating procedure at Starbucks now. An internal memo sent to Starbucks employees last week specifically warned staffers against wearing accessories or clothes bearing messages in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. The memo, obtained by BuzzFeed News, reminds staffers that such messages are prohibited under the company's policy against accessories that, quote, advocated a political, religious, or personal issue. Numerous employees told the news outlet, however, that the company regularly allows or even encourages employees to wear pins in support of LGBTQ equality, especially during Pride Month every June. One person who is above the target catching the flack on all of our behalfs is Tucker Carlson. Don't know how much longer he can do that. He's being targeted for all these big advertisers. I mean, the, the CEO of of, of T-Mobile, he actually sent out a tweet predicting Tucker's demise because the big advertisers like his company weren't going to advertise on his show because he's been telling the truth the best way he can about this black crime, violence, and rioting. And he's pointing out how the whole free speech thing is just gone now. So now we got the CEO of of T-Mobile saying something like, so long, Tucker. These guys are taking, these big corporate guys, they're taking delight in shutting down these conservative voices. Oh yeah, any of you guys have this notion that all these CEOs around the country are, you know, conservative heroes out of the pages of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged? I know a lot of these guys, I've worked for a lot of, maybe 10 or 20 over a long time. Most of them are not. I don't... It's weird. Most of them are kind of liberal, to tell you the truth. Maybe it's kind of, I don't know, it's a lot of maybes, why it's this, why it's that. But it's just surprising how much of that there is. And now we see it extend into Mr. Pickles. Now we see it trying to extend into the studios and bank accounts of the people who run Fox News. Let's let's uh, hit the backstretch with Tucker here. 
because this dude's on fire. I just hope he stays that way. And the truth is, we often don't know their names. They're mostly faceless political agitators who exist primarily online. They're trolls who thrive on cruelty. And yet suddenly they have immense power over all of us. Weak leaders now reflexively bow to their demands, no matter what those demands are. Why is that? What's changed? Well, that's a much longer conversation. We probably ought to do an entire show on that topic. And if the news ever comes down long enough to think in bigger terms, well, we, we will do that. But for now, it's enough to say that the country's defenses have been badly weakened by decades of relentless propaganda, all of it designed to make us feel that we have no right to stand up for ourselves, to stand up for our country. We are too sinful to resist. We deserve whatever we get. Shut up and take it, America. We could spend days showing you examples of this, but here's just the very latest. It's from CNN over the weekend. Oh. Yeah, I'm bringing this sign to the protest at the community center later. <laughs> oh. Well, they look upset. Oh, are the protesters sad? They are sad and upset. And they have every right to be, Elmo. People are upset because racism is a huge problem in our country. Across the country, people of color, especially in the black community, are being treated unfairly because of how they look. It's a children's show. Got that, Bobby? America is a very bad place, and it's your fault. So no matter what happens, no matter what they do to you when you grow up, you have no right to complain. That's the message, and it starts very young. Where does it end up exactly? We're finding out. Here's where it ends up. Alexander Katai is a Serbian soccer player who, until the other day, played professionally for the Galaxy in Los Angeles. Last week, Katai's wife posted criticism online of the looters she was watching wreck Minneapolis. A lot of people felt that way. Katai's wife wrote in Serbian, which she speaks, and yet someone noticed them anyway and then attacked her for writing them. She deleted the post very quickly, but it was too late. Now, we should be clear that her husband, the soccer player, may not even have known that she wrote the post. His wife was in Chicago when she wrote them. He was practicing with his team in Los Angeles, but it didn't matter. Protesters dutifully arrived at the stadium to call for his firing. So the management of the LA Galaxy forced Katai to apologize for his wife and then to denounce her, denounce his own wife. Then they made him endorse Black Lives Matter, which he did, and then they fired him anyway, and then they attacked him on his way out for something he didn't even do and may not even have known about that was written in a language almost nobody in America understands. That's what happened. The team's president, Chris Klein, sounded pleased by the whole thing. Quote, in the end, he said, we have to look at what the club stands for and who we are. Hmm. Who we are. It's a good question, actually. Who are we? Well, at this point, we're becoming North Korea. We now believe in blood guilt. We punish people for the sins of their relatives. We don't allow individuals to have private thoughts. We hurt anyone who disagrees with orthodoxy. We demand that the innocent plead guilty to things we know they didn't do and then read their confessions in public to prove they've been reeducated. And then we brag about doing all of this. Obviously, something terrifying has descended on America, and it's easy to see if you stand back what has happened. Terrible ideas suddenly have free reign. Why? Because no one pushes back. Those ideas are met with supine weakness. You've seen it happen a thousand times. Some professional activist says something crazy and destructive because that's what professional activists do always. Defund the police! What's changed, what's brand new, is that no one in charge has the stones to disagree. 
So the rhetoric gets even crazier and more destructive. Kill the police. Okay, what next? UCLA is now investigating a professor for the crime of reading Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail out loud. Meanwhile, also at UCLA, another professor called Gordon Klein is under police protection tonight. What did Gordon Klein do wrong? Well, when minority students asked to be exempted from final exams after George Floyd died, Klein refused. He said, everyone of all colors has to take the exam. UCLA immediately suspended him. Students threatened to kill him. Now Klein has police cars outside of his house. All of this is happening right now in America. The question is, is anyone defending these guys, defending the right to give exams or to read Martin Luther King out loud? Well, probably not. No one's defending anyone anymore. It's every man for himself. Meanwhile, the worst ideas, the ones that could harm all of us, are growing in power. Last week, the cosmetics company L'Oreal announced it was hiring a black transgender model called Monroe Bergdorf. Bergdorf will sit on the company's newly formed Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Board. Bergdorf had worked at L'Oreal before, if you follow fashion, you know that, but got fired three years ago for writing this specifically addressed to white people. We're going to quote from it. Quote, your existence, privilege and success as a race is built on the backs, blood and death of people of color. Your entire existence is drenched in racism. Racism isn't learned. It's inherited and consciously or unconsciously passed down through privilege. Once white people begin to admit that their race is the most violent and oppressive force of nature on earth, then we can talk, end quote. Now, Monroe Bergdorf got canned for writing that. L'Oreal announced that crackpot racial theories were contrary to, quote, diversity and tolerance toward all people, irrespective of their race. That, of course, is true. Or it was true. It's not true anymore, apparently, at least now at L'Oreal. L'Oreal has apologized for ever supporting tolerance and diversity and has now rehired Bergdorf. The idea that racism can be inherited and passed down is now consistent with L'Oreal's Black Lives Matter inspired HR policies. Some employees there must be worried. We should all be worried. This is terrifying. We should fight against sweeping racial attacks like this with everything we have, not because we're sympathetic to the specific group they're going after, but because it is wrong always, no matter what, no matter who the target is. No child is born evil. Sin cannot be inherited. That's insane. Certain racial groups are not morally superior to other racial groups, and we should never condemn any ethnicity as, quote, the most violent and oppressive force of nature on earth. That's Nazi talk. I'm sorry, it is. It is. Today, the left has singled out one ethnic group to hate and punish, but tomorrow, it will be another ethnic group. Bigots never stop with just one. And it will be every bit as wrong when they do that to other people as it is wrong now because it's always wrong. We have an entire monument on the National Mall in Washington dedicated to the idea that in America, citizens are judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. We don't always live up to that ideal, obviously, but it's got to be the ideal. If we give up on that, if we stop trying to treat people equally under the law, all people, all Americans, all citizens, then we're done. At that point, this country is simply a collection of angry tribes and violence is inevitable. That's where we're heading tonight at very high speed. Democrats are thrilled as they watch it. They believe they can win the November election by inciting tribalism and division, and maybe they can. But what then? How do you put the country back together? Republicans have a moral duty to defend us from this, to stand up now 
right now when it counts for America's highest and most important ideals. This right now is the crisis that we all sensed was coming. This is why we voted for them. When it really mattered, they promised, they would fight to keep this country from falling apart. Well, now the crisis is here, and they're not even trying. Mitch McConnell is the most powerful Republican in the Congress. He runs the Senate. That's the one chamber Republicans still control. So what did Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, do today as American society began to unravel? Mitch McConnell did not defend the country, much less defend you. He read talking points that Nancy Pelosi could have written and that benefited only her. Many Republican senators did that today. These people are cowards and they are liars. They pose as your protectors. They would sell you out for the price of lunch and laugh as you were hauled away. At the very least, they could point out the endless lying all around us. There's so much of it. Here's one example. The mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Bottoms, just announced the creation of what she called a recovery fund designed to help businesses destroyed in the, quote, peaceful demonstrations in Atlanta. Wait a second, Keisha Bottoms. If the demonstrations were so peaceful, why the recovery fund? You'd think Republicans could at least point this out. It's kind of amusing, if nothing else. A recovery fund for a peaceful demonstration? But no, you can't criticize Keisha Bottoms anymore. She's a very serious person. She may be Joe Biden's running mate. Respect is due. And so with no pushback, the lying continues. It continues relentlessly in a torrent from everyone in charge. And no one stops it. No one even acknowledges it. After a while, no citizen, no one watching believes anything. The few people who remember what America used to be like start to think maybe they're going crazy, but they're not going crazy. It's not you, it's them. The country really has changed, and very fast. Last Friday, a man in Alabama called Michael Dykes sent a text to several of his employees. Dykes is the part owner of a restaurant in Alabama called the Parkside Cafe. Protests over the death of George Floyd were apparently hurting his business, and he was frustrated by that. So in his text, Dyke criticized the protesters, though he also noted that George Floyd, quote, didn't deserve to die. Okay. Then one of Dykes' employees promptly posted his text to social media and called Dykes, quote, hateful and evil. Immediately, Dykes' restaurant was besieged. The writer Candace Owens saw this and decided to help. Owens opened a GoFundMe page to help the Parkside Cafe compensate for lost business. Within hours, donors sent in more than $200,000. Turns out an awful lot of Americans still believe you should be allowed to express your opinions in private text messages. We used to take that for granted. But the tech barons who run GoFundMe.com do not believe that. They don't want you to know that others believe that. If you're going to control a society and they want to, you've got to treat every ordinary dissident like a dangerous revolutionary and shut them down. So that's what they did. GoFundMe immediately shut down Candace Owens' account. In a statement, GoFundMe accused Candace Owens of, quote, inflammatory statements that spread hate, discrimination, intolerance, and falsehoods against the black community. GoFundMe did not acknowledge that Candace Owens is herself black, but of course it wouldn't matter anyway, because racism no longer has anything to do with race. It's a way to control disobedience. Robin D'Angelo is one of the people who changed how our professional class understands the term racism. D'Angelo is the author of the barely literate but deeply influential book, White Fragility. You've probably heard some sociology professor yapping on CNN and using that term, White Fragility. Robin D'Angelo did an interview with Esquire magazine this week, and she announced that claiming you're not racist is no longer good enough. 
In fact, it's evidence you're a racist. Quote, I would urge white people to remove the phrase, I'm not racist, from their vocabularies. You got that new rule? They sprang up out of nowhere like mushrooms after rain, but you'd better take heed. People who say they are not racist are especially racist. Got that? It's the Chinese finger trap of race guilt. The harder you struggle against the accusation, the less likely you are to get out of it, the more likely you are of being punished for it. So stop resisting, sit back and take it. You have no choice, racist. That's what they're telling you. And a lot of people, a lot of people we used to respect are falling for it, caving to it, kneeling down before it. Don't be one of those people. For the sake of the country, stay strong, be brave, be kind, be compassionate, be empathetic, be loving toward your neighbor, but tell the truth. We are Americans. That is our right, and right now, it's our duty. So was I kidding? Is there a lot going on? You ought to see my, my pile of stuff. It's just as tall as Russia's stuff. So much other stuff going on, so much violence, so much denial. So many people being shut down and silenced when they try to speak up about this, how everything on this planet is now upside down. Well, we're, we are not going to be silenced. And I'm very grateful to all the people who listen to this podcast for making sure that happens by passing these podcasts around, telling your friends about them, telling your friends about good old Collins books and articles and how... We're on this. We've been on this for a long time. We're going to stay on it. Keep your powder dry. Save the date, June 22nd. More details to come. Guaranteed to make the black kids angry. It's a god-awful public school. But the leftists will say it's cool. Though Jerome stabbed a kid today. Violence was black on gay, but the media's nowhere to be seen. Though a teacher got it in the spleen, oh, I can nearly bled to death when his face got split in half. But the teacher was on the Yeah.